Okay. Testing, testing here. Okay, friends, I invite you to find your seats and then invite you to turn into your Bibles to uh, the book of Amos. The book of Amos. If you don't, if you didn't bring your Bible today, we have some Bibles, I think, in the back, uh, in the back tote back there. Some, some guys know where those are. Just raise your hand and then we'll, we'll get you one. Um, but we'll be in the book of Amos today. So a couple of, uh, couple of announcements in the handout. The ladies' event is coming up October, October 2nd. So bring a topping. Everybody hear that from Amanda? So ladies, bring a, a topping and a food, uh, out of food, food to share. A dish to share. The sign-ups are in the back. You have to sign up on both of those. That's on October 2nd at our house, uh, at the Mears house. Um, so Janet, that's October 2nd, <laughs> not the 16th. Okay. <laughs> Big surprise. I don't want to open the door and all the ladies come in. So, all right. October 2nd, Saturday, October 2nd. And then uh, the men's meet thing this Friday. Sign-ups. Is there any... They just connect with Paul and uh, just let, let Paul know that is this Friday. And uh, so Friday night, that's also in the handout. And then there's several uh, things to, to pray for. Keep those prayers uh, in mind um, uh, throughout this week. But I invite you to turn to Amos. Um, oh, and then also the other announcement was uh, the, the church history class that we're teaching begins a week from tomorrow night. A week from tomorrow night. So if you're interested in coming to this class, let us know because that determines which room we're going to be in. And so I've gotten a couple of people said that they're interested, but if you could email me, text me or whatever, let me know. Show of hands right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, and this is open for everybody in the church. I saw yours too, Jared. Just, yeah. Um, but this is open up for everybody in the church. This is not just a men's study. And so that's going to be from 630 to 8.30. I thought I would be honest. For the men's study last year, it said 6.30 to 8. And we never finished by 8. Ever. Right, guys? We always finished at 8.30. And except for when the World Series, there was a World Series game on. And then we were done by 8. But, um, so that begins next week. So let me know. Um, and so we are beginning our series in Amos today. Um, our first in a series of the minor prophets that we'll kind of jump in and out of. Um, and today is kind of an, an unusual one. We're not going to spend a lot of time in Amos. Uh, we're, this is going to be kind of an introduction to Amos. So I invite you to turn also, keep your fingers in Amos, but if you could also turn to Exodus chapter 19, that will be part of our scripture reading. So we'll read a, a section from Exodus 19. And then Amos, we'll read a, a couple of passages in Amos. So Exodus 19, Amos chapter 3, and then chapter 9 will be a part of our scripture reading today. So Exodus chapter 19, we're going to read the first eight verses. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. 
They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And now back to Amos chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, which are kind of the key hinge verses in the book of Amos. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. And then now, Amos chapter 9, the end of Amos, verses 13 through 15. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, indeed, for your word. And God, we ask that this morning, as we've just read snippets out of your word this morning, Um, that you would help here in the coming moments. You would help us to see and understand how how all of these these verses fit together and how it fits together in uh, the larger story of the gospel. And so, God, uh, here in these next few moments, give us uh, clarity. Give us uh, eyes that we might see and ears that we might hear what wonderful things you'd have for us. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this, as I said, is an introduction to Amos today. Who is uh, Amos? Well, we're going to get more into who he is, like his personality, his calling and stuff like that uh, in the, the coming weeks. But it, we really need to ask, what, what is Amos? What is this book, Amos? And what is, uh, well, the short answer is he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Well, what's a minor prophet in the Old Testament? Well, they're part of the, the, they're just had smaller ministries or smaller writing ministries than say like the big prophets of like Isaiah and um, Jeremiah. Well, then who are the prophets? What's, what's the point of the Old Testament prophecy? So my question isn't who is Amos in particular, but what is Amos this book and how does it fit uh, into the larger biblical story? And that's how we have to understand the answer to the question on who Amos is. We have to see how Amos fits into the entire story of the Old Testament and the entire story of the Bible. And so, just to kind of recap for all of us here, the Bible is a book. It's a 66 books, different books. It tells uh, Those 66 books are broken up into two categories. One's an, an Old Testament and the other is a... New Testament, the Old Testament has tw- uh, 39 different books written by dozens of authors over a period of about 1,500 years. And the New Testament has 27 books written by about eight different authors over a period of about 60 years, 2,000 years ago. Um, but it's actually one book. It's one book with one divine author over all of it. And it tells one larger story. Um, and this is sadly what a lot of people who are not very familiar with the Bible don't, don't quite get. That there's actually one bigger story to the Bible. The Bible is often thought of as kind of a massive list of do's and don'ts. Uh, and, and ancient ones at that from cultures far away and times long ago. Um, now, it does have do's and don'ts, but it's not just a massive list of ancient do's and don'ts. It, it is a story of what God is doing with a particular people. The Bible tells the story of a relationship, of a relationship, a relationship with God and with people. And at uh, points in history through the Old Testament, it was a very specific group of people. The era that we are in now, it's, it's a much larger group of people. And so today I want to sketch that story for you, the big story of the Bible, and to help do that, because that seems really a, a lot of material. How are you going to tell us basically the story of the whole Bible? Well, I'm going to kind of give you one slice of it, one thing that kind of cuts through all from Genesis all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, one key word, and here's that that key word for us today, covenant. You can fill this out in your handout. Covenant. It's not a word that we're not terribly unfamiliar with. I think a lot of us could understand, well, I've heard that word before, covenant, but what does it mean? Here, let me give you a, a meaning for covenant here. It's a divinely sanctioned relational commitment Between two people or groups, it could be a person and a group, or two different individuals or two different groups of people, 
relational commitment between two people or groups that have blessings for keeping it and consequences for breaking it. A divinely sanctioned relational commitment between two persons or groups that have blessings for keeping it and consequences for breaking it. Now, some of you who are married go, that kind of sounds like marriage. Well, you're right. I think that that's probably the closest metaphor picture that we could give for, um, for it is marriage, as a marriage relationship. And as, marriage, as a matter of fact, marriage is often referred to as the covenant of marriage because it is a relational commitment between two persons uh, that has blessings for keeping it and consequences for breaking it. And these can be human, like a marriage. Human, humans can have covenants. But in the Bible, and there are human ones in the Bible, but in the Bible, the main ones are divine human relations, divine human covenants that God makes with individuals like David or Abraham or Isaac and Jacob, but then also that God makes with whole groups of people. This is key to understanding the entire story of the Bible. This covenant idea, a covenant between God and man. God initiates the covenant, and then God and the people enter into that covenantal agreement. And we saw that a little, didn't we, in our reading in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 tells the story of uh, the people of Israel. The descendants from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you remember these stories perhaps from Sunday school, Um, Abraham and his descendant Isaac and then his descendant Jacob, and then Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and then he has uh, entire tribes that come from him, and they're all referred to as the sons of Israel or just Israel, or sometimes they use his previous name to describe all of this group of people, Jacob. We saw that in our Amos reading. So we saw this already a little bit, didn't we? God had brought these people that he had made promises to out of Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai. And before he gives the Ten Commandments, which we're probably all familiar with the Ten Commandments, you realize this event happened prior to that. The event that we just read. He says, I'm going to make them my people. And I'm going to enter into a covenant with them. And the people said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. You got it? Does that get the picture? So let me give you four essential elements to a covenant and then to kind of see how this fleshes out in the Old Testament story. And I'll give you all four of them right there and you can write these in your handout. There's four things that are essential to a covenant. And there's, like I said, many covenants in the Old Testament. Here are the four and I've alliterated them for you because that's what we do, right? They all begin with P. Parties, promises, precepts, And penalties. These are the four essential elements to a covenant. And covenant being this divinely sanctioned relationship, uh, relational commitment between two persons, God and a group of people that have blessings for keeping it and consequences for breaking it. Parties, promises, precepts, and penalties. Let's go through each of those kind of a little bit. The parties, or sometimes referred to as the covenant partners. Covenant partners. Like I said, in the Old Testament, God had made covenant promises to Abraham and was reiterated to Isaac, his son, and it was reiterated to Jacob, his son, and then uh, reiterated to all of his tribes that come from him, Israel. 
And this group of people that God had been kind of entered into this covenant relationship with find themselves in bondage of slavery in Egypt. That's how the second book of the Bible begins. And God calls Moses to bring them out and he redeems them and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And what does God do? He makes a covenant with them. Or he cuts a covenant. That's kind of the Hebrew language for making one. You cut a covenant. Let's go back and read that passage in Exodus 3. Or 19, verse 3. And while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, that's his code word for that entire group of people from Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, that, uh, that last little line there, the language there is the language of we mentioned marriage earlier. It's the language of how, what the bridegroom would do in bringing the bride into his home. And it's kind of, maybe it's, it might be a deliberate, you know, re- recalling of the marriage relationship. In many ways, the Lord God is kind of saying here, I basically kind of entered into a marriage relationship with all of you as a people. Notice he continues in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people. So here, who are the covenant parties here? It's the Lord God and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is Israel. And you can see some of the blessings in there. And blessings would usually be, or the promises, I would call them promises or blessings. This is the I will part. I will do these things for you. This is all throughout various portions of the Old Testament when the Lord God is making this promise to this group of people. He says, this is what I'm going to do for you. And uh, Deuteronomy 28 lists a lot of them. He goes, you know what? You're going to be in the land. You're going to be safe. You'll be protected from uh, your enemies. uh, And things will, will go well for you. But the main overarching one, if you could give one term for the main blessing, is it's life. You get life. Life in the land. That's what I give you. And then there's usually precepts connected. So this this is kind of the, as the promises part was the I will do, the precepts part, and then as for you, this is what's expected. This is what's, what's required for you. And this usually is kind of broken up into two groups, very specific stipulations, general ones and very specific ones. The, the specific ones would be things like, uh, in the Old Testament that, that seem very weird to a lot of people who read the Old Testament for the first time and going, wait, there's, there's all of these rules for like food you can eat or clothing you can wear or what kind of seeds you could put in your field or other things like here, you need to put this kind of fence around the roof of your house so that you protect the life of people who fall off of it. These are all kind of the, the, the specific stipulations, but they're all kind of hinging on the general one The general precept, and that is love. Love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 spells it out quite simply. Here, O Israel, here's the general precept. Love the Lord your God, the Lord alone. 
You shall have no, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is what Israel agreed to do. Moses came and shared all of that. And the people answered, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But also, in addition to parties, promises, and precepts, there's penalties. There's a consequence for the, dissolution, the, the, the dissolving of this covenant relationship. If the conditions are not met, and again, the emphasis is here is on the biggies, the big general ones. If you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you do not love and serve Him alone. In other words, you can't have another side relationship with another God. Or like the, the, the Philistine gods. Or the Baals. You, you, you're my people. You can't have this relationship with the gods of the other nations around you. Right? This is what's often what happens in a marriage relationship. Is you say, you're mine and I'm yours exclusively. This is what's happening here. So if you break that, there's consequences. And here, in the Old Testament, they would get kicked out of the land that he had given them. Um, they would get taken away. They would be conquered by foreign enemies. In other words, the promise of, of life that they had freely been given um, is taken away. It's a, that's a very... Very simple framework for you to understand Genesis all the way through the rest of the Old Testament. Is that kind of somewhat clear? At least one line, one slice to help understand the whole thing. Okay, so now back to Amos. Back to Amos. Where does Amos fit in all of this? It's hundreds of years after the event that we read in Exodus 19. Centuries have passed. These people had been brought out of their bondage of slavery. They ended up coming into the land. They have various people that are ruling over a period of time until finally a kings are established, and then there's a line of kings. You're familiar with this in the, you know, the Old Testament stories, Sunday school class of all the various kings. And some are described as being an evil king. Some are described as being a, a good king. What made the difference? How was that categorized? What was on how well they did at leading the people in the covenant? You ever thought of what made a good king a good king and a bad king a bad king? This. So the prophets come along and see this group of people who are not following the precepts the promises are going to get revoked and there's an announcement kind of that the penalties are coming. Okay? So this is what the prophets, Amos, along with all of the other Old Testament prophets, are essentially are. They are covenant lawyers. They're covenant lawyers. They come with a message from God to the people and they represent one of the parties that's in that covenant relationship, and they come, they're serving papers. They come with a summons. 
What is it? It's a list of the ways in which they have broken the covenantal arrangement. And here, let me, this is where we want to kind of go through Amos to see uh, some examples of this. And here, let me give you the two broad categories that Amos in particular has, um, has a message from God, the, the problem that God has with these people at this time, and it falls into two basic categories. One is religious, the other is social. To, to be God's people means that you're going to worship the Lord God alone, and that means there's a certain obligation for how you, how you all need to be in relationship with one another. So, there's, uh, so it's religious and social. The religious problem was um, syncretism. They were starting to, they were playing the field. They were seeing other people. And God said, you can't do that. And then on the other hand, not only were they religiously seeing other people, they were uh, being selfishly unjust to those around them. So let me kind of give you a survey here. Acts chapter 2. You could follow along and see some of these. Amos chapter 2. And so some of these, even in the same verses, you'll see the both this, uh, this syncretistic religion and also this social injustice happening together, even in the same verses. Notice uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord... For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, right? So the penalties. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. This is the social injustices, right? Here you have uh, the rich taking advantage of the poor. Notice verse 7. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. Notice verse 8. And they lay themselves down beside the altar, beside every altar, that's key, every altar on garments taken in a pledge and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been Fine. Okay, what is that saying there? He's like, they're going to various other altars of other gods that they were told, you can't do that. You're, you're not, this is an exclusive relationship. You can't see other people. And God is saying, I, you're going and seeing other people. You're going to other altars. And not only that, you're going to the wine or things that are offered at other altars and you're bringing them to mine. Notice chapter... Four, verses 4 and 5. Come to Bethel and transgress. Now, okay, hold on a second here. Um, this is an often neglected aspect of reading the Bible, as you have to understand, sometimes, sometimes God is sarcastic in his comments. He's saying, come to Bethel, which would be another place of these false uh, idols, with altars and high places where these worship things would be taking place. Uh, Bethel is a city for that, and Gilgal is a city where that is. And he's basically saying sarcastically, yeah, go on, come on over to Bethel and sin. Go over to the other place in Gilgal and go worship other gods. I always think this is a very funny passage for my wife who went to Bethel College. 
a Christian college named Bethel College. I wrote in one of my, one of my Bibles, I don't know that the trustees knew the meaning of this verse when they named, because Bethel was the site where false worship was taking place. I don't know what life was like on campus, but genuine too, right? Okay, so go to Bethel and sin. I'm sure you guys use that um, on campus. But here, in all seriousness, the Lord is being sarcastic. Look at, uh, go every, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving uh, of that which is leavened. Wait a second, you're going, wait a second, if you know the Old Testament, you're saying God, God specifically told them to bring bread that was unleavened and offer that on the altar as a fellowship offering. And he's saying here, yeah, go bring leavened bread. This is all sarcastic. But it's an indictment on their other forms of worship. Notice chapter 5, verse 7. In uh, verse, excuse me, verses 10 through 13. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of their wine. Here is more of now an indictment against the social side. Where the poor was manipulating laws and manipulating things to take advantage, excuse me, the the rich were doing that to take advantage of the poor. We could say this today, that the powerful, the ones who are making making laws for other people that they themselves don't do. (laughs) Seen any examples of this on social media? This, this, God's like, I'm I'm not cool with that. That's, that's That's not what my people do. Chapter 8, verses 10 through 14, 10 and 14. He says, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. Again, these are feasts. What they would do is they would still continue to claim they would have feasts that the Lord had given, but they were mixing it by serving and worshiping other gods. And they would sing songs and those kind of things. And he goes, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to turn... I'm going to turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I'm going to bring sackcloth on the waist and baldness on on every head. I think you get the, the idea, and we'll see, we'll unpack some of these as we go. But it's a combination of the oppression of the powerless by the powerful along with a distorted religion that just was open to worshiping uh, in any other way they saw fit instead of the way that God saw fit. And this comes with an announcement then. The covenant lawyers have shown up and have said, I'm coming to bring judgment. So they bring the the evidence that the terms have, have been broken. One of the parties has broken the precepts, the promises are revoked, and the penalties are about to be initiated. And keep in mind, as I said earlier, this has been going on for centuries. You could add another P right here before the penalties, and that is patient. 
God had been patient with them this whole time. So the book of Amos is just filled with these multiple messages of this impending penalties that are coming. And actually, it could be very overwhelming at times. We're keeping this series kind of short because it would be uh, very difficult uh, to go through to see how serious these these punishments uh, are. And it's overwhelming to read. But that's an overview of, of Amos. It's an overview of the Old Testament. And that, that's an old overview of the Old Covenant. So what, what lesson does that have? Now, in honest truth, right, doesn't that seem kind of depressing for this teaching to end right there? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, the, the other one would be, it's not only would it be very depressing to go, well, so judgments are coming and now it's all over. Another bad uh, way of understanding the message of Amos would be to think that the message of Amos then for us who are look, reading it centuries or millennia later would be, okay, we will go back and we're going to do better. That's not the message either. The message to us is not that we could go back and do better, better because we can't. That covenant has been dissolved and is over. So we couldn't go back and initiate a covenant with God anyway. And who's to say that we could actually do it better than they could when we're as equally as sinful as they are? The lesson could be very discouraging because you're thinking, well, that's it. There's nothing we could do. It also could be very depressing because we have no ability to do it. So what do we do from here? What, what, what message is there? Well, I'd say this. Let me, to, to end this teaching today, let me say this. Um, every prophet in the Old Testament had a note of hope in it had a a promise that even though the covenant lawyers have shown up and have served the papers from God and issuing this divorce decree against this people, there's a note of hope in everyone that even in the breaking of this covenant, God says He's going to one day make a new one. He's going to make a future, a, a covenant in the future. The same God who made a covenant with Israel in the Old Testament, which they broke, He makes another one. He makes a gracious one, a covenant of grace. And this is what God has Amos share at the end of this letter. Back to Amos chapter 9. When He says, I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel. And they're they're going to get all of the promises that I had promised Israel if they would just be faithful to the covenant. This is a hint at what other prophets refer to as the new covenant. And it would be a shame if we didn't talk a little bit about the new covenant in the New Testament. It's similar to the Old Testament covenant. It still has the same four essential elements. The parties, the promises, and precepts and penalties, but it's, but it's a little different. There's a little twist. So let me present these for you here. The parties in the new covenant 
are God. It's not God and then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants. The parties of this one is God the Father and God the Son. Who is the descendant of Abraham, by the way? It's God the Father and God the Son. And there are promises in this. And it's similar to the overarching promise that was given in the Old Covenant. Life. You will get life. Not long and secure life in a specific geopolitical place in the world, but a kingdom. And as a matter of fact, you will become the king. God the Father says to God the Son, Jesus. Eternal life for Jesus and a kingdom and for all who would trust in Him. See this, this covenant? This is the new covenant. But there's a little twist with the precepts and the penalties. There are precepts. Jesus has been given some commands and He does and fulfills all of them perfectly. Whereas Israel had been given precepts and they failed and came back and then failed and came back and failed and God had been patient with them until finally he had to issue the punishments. Jesus fulfills all of the precepts perfectly. So here's three thoughts to to catch at the end. Three lessons for us here of the new covenant that Amos is speaking about at the end, promising in the future. Jesus fulfills the precepts himself. And not only does he do that, he does it perfectly. Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22, verse 22. Where Peter saying of Jesus that he committed no sin. Neither were there any deceit found in his mouth. Or 1 John chapter 5, another one of Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. John, another one of Jesus' disciples, wrote that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And the writer of Hebrews, who remains anonymous to us, said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one, and this is in reference to Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus fulfills the precepts himself, and he does so perfectly. Well, then what about the penalties? This is where it's a twist. Jesus takes the penalties, but not his penalties, because he doesn't have any. Jesus takes the penalties of others. Wait a second, he fulfilled the precepts. Why does he still take the penalties? You get it with Israel, with with Amos, it was kind of clear. Amos spells it out, all the ways in which they, they had failed and had broken the covenant. And so all of the penalties that they get are totally deserved. The penalties that G, they're not deserved. It's because he takes the penalties of others, not his own. The scriptures say that the curse, that those who committed sins are are under a curse. Jesus takes that curse. 
The Scripture says that those who are guilty of sin uh, deserve to, to die. Jesus died a death on our place on the cross. The penalty that we deserve goes to Him. A sinless Jesus is killed for us, for all who would trust in Him. And so here's the third one. Oh, here's some scripture verse. I'm sorry, let me read some scripture verse to to kind of um, help elaborate on this. Where Paul in Romans 3 says, For all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Here's this is kind of a way, atoning sacrifice. This is a way of saying that this, uh, that Jesus then becomes the one who, he, though he didn't commit the penalties, he takes the penalties. That's what's in this word. God put forward Jesus as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had kind of passed over the former sins. And it was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can God forgive a sinful person? God's way is, I'm going to have a substitute fill in their place. It's not fair, right? Doesn't that seem kind of not fair? Maybe that's not a way to put it. But that's grace. That's grace. This is what makes the new covenant new. This is what makes the good news good. You have a God who takes our penalties. And then not only does he do that, here's the third one. Jesus gives the promises to those who trust in him. Meaning, Jesus had fulfilled all the precepts, so he gets the promises. He gets life, he gets a kingdom forever and ever and ever. And Jesus says that I give those promises to all who would trust in, in me. So there's, there's two things that are happening here. The penalties that we deserve goes to Jesus who doesn't deserve them. And yet, the promises and the blessings that Jesus deserves goes to a people who don't deserve them, but we just receive them because He gives them as a gift. That's the Bible. That's the story. Over and over. When we trust in Jesus, a couple things happen. He fulfills the, pre, the, the precepts perfectly on our half. He takes the penalties that we deserve. And He gives the promises to all who would come to Him as a gift. One of my favorite verses to end. 
where the Apostle Paul writes, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, read that, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's the announcement. This is what the early Christians, following from Jesus after he had ascended into heaven, went about the world to say that we can be reconciled to God in a new covenant through the one who takes our penalties and then gives us his promises. It's before this that Paul makes the appeal. So I appeal to you, be reconciled to God. Trust in Jesus. And we'll see this unpacked as we go through um, the book of of Amos. Uh, Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again. When we ponder this amazing, great exchange... We, we lament at the ways in which this simple and yet profound message has been so misconstrued in the world. But God, we thank you for this amazing gift that you offer to us through your Son. Through Jesus through His perfect life and through His brutal death on a cross. That all of the curse that we are under would be removed and that all of the blessings that You'd give to us would be realized. So God, help us. Nourish us with the truth of those those words as we reflect on this amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, would die for me? It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand for uh, one closing song as response.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you. I should probably send you my sermon outlines, and then if you come up with something like that, you'd be like, Hi, kiddos. Can I get a hug? Good to see you guys. How are you? Isn't that good news? That Jesus takes our penalties, and he gives us his promises. Isn't that great? Okay, let me see. Amos. Look, my head is the perfect O for the Amos. (laughs) Almost perfect, right into the O of Amos. <laughs> the, Thank you. In the beginning, I was like, "Why doesn't Daddy sh- serve famous Amos cookies?" <laughs> <laughs> she wanted famous Amos cookies for communion, for the Amos series. <laughs> we don't do that here. I often, as she said that, I was like, "So were cookies and punch in the the Sunday? Wasn't that like kind of a, a tr- like weren't those like the training pants for communion?" <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, thanks, man. What's up, dude? I gave Grayer his book, um, but uh, Brent and uh, I should have given it to Brent, but I think it'll mean more when he gets if, if, uh, no, they're up north. That's what I mean. What's up, dude? How you doing, man? Good. Good to see you. You too, brother. And good. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Oh, uh, hold on. Not Emily. That's your wife. My wife. Close. Let's see here. Alexa. Close. Alexis. Alexis. Okay. All right. Yeah. I feel like that. That was cool. That passes. It got the Alexa part. Uh, I hope I didn't turn it on anybody's phone. I wish you'd be more obedient. 
like Alexa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Alexa, go clean the kitchen. Yes, Dad. Right. She says good. She says good. I'm just I don't approve of that. Yeah, that was dad. It's dad jokes. <laughs> Total it's a bad dad joke. That's what that is. Uh, I'm trying to turn the Alexa into an Alexis. <laughs> oh, I need to shut this off. Oh, yeah. oh good. That, you, 